Welcome to Tech Podcast from Huawei London and part one of this two-part series, which we're calling the Tech Roundtable. I'm joined by three leading industry voices in innovation. So without further delay, please let me introduce you to Helen Duncan. Hello, I'm Helen Duncan. Um, I've been a technical writer uh, specialising in high-frequency electronics, wireless and most recently 5G um, for the past 30 years, having started my career as an R&D engineer um, working in microwave technology. And we're also joined here today with Bill Mew. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a, a leading global uh, privacy campaigner. Um, my focus is on striking the right balance between meaningful protection, so everything from cybersecurity and privacy through to digital ethics, um, uh, and striking that balance with the maximisation of economic and social value, which is uh, all around the benefits of technology from AI, from cloud, from digital transformation and from innovation, really grasping the potential benefits from all of these technologies. And last but not least, Dave Coplin. Hi, I'm Dave. Uh, I run a consultancy called The Envisioners, which is really just a fancy way of saying I've spent the last three decades trying to help human beings get the best from technology that sits in front of them. Uh, it's really about the relationship we share with technology. How do we inspire people to want to achieve more whilst uh, helping them acquire the skills that help them do that in a way that adds value to our society and keeps them safe? So welcome to Helen, Bill and Dave. Thank you all for joining us today. With our special guests over the next two episodes, we'll be discussing all things tech. So from a look back of 2021 and to the next big trends of 2022, to green tech and the growing importance, not only for innovation, but also the role it has to tackle climate change. Be sure to download some of these episodes and listen back in the coming weeks. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about all things collaboration. So from startups to skills, why is working together a benefit from not only the tech industry, but also from uh, all other industries, investment, learning and application wise? So I thought I'd kick off uh, this conversation with a quote from Alexander Graham Bell. With great discoveries and improvements invariably involve the cooperation of many minds. Nearly 100 years later, Helen, how do you think this quote is relevant today and what does collaboration mean to you? Uh, it's very relevant, in fact, more so than ever, because in Alexander Graham Bell's time, one person could design a whole system. Um, we've reached the stage where no one person knows how to design everything in a computer or a mobile phone. It is of necessity a collaboration um, between different uh, disciplines, mechanical, um, electronic, um, and you have to consider the sociological um, and uh, uh, accessibility to people with disabilities and all sorts of things which, uh, which didn't have to be considered before. Um, so we can't actually do anything technologically without collaboration these days. I couldn't agree more. Um, Bill? Your thoughts on collaboration, what it means for us today? Well, we've always collaborated as a, a society and as a different cultures. What has changed is the work, the role that technology has played in a lot of our collaboration. We have never been so interconnected. We have never been so reliant on technology. And conversely, we've never been so vulnerable in many ways to when technology goes wrong or when it's hacked or whatever. Um, but collaboration needs to occur at many different levels. At the micro level, we've been looking at the 
the ways in which we all work very differently or so certainly have done over the last 18 months. Um, and then at the macro level, we need to look about how different societies, different communities can collaborate to uh, address some of the biggest ch challenges in society, be that climate change, be that the, the pandemic itself, or be that sort of addressing things like the cyber threat. So some of the biggest challenges out there will require massive amounts of collaboration between different societies. But at the micro level, we collaborate every day and we're that much richer and that much more productive from collaborating with others. Um, whether it's bouncing ideas off our colleagues, whether it's working together as a team, we can achieve a great deal more. Absolutely. So those micro and macro themes with collaboration. Dave, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, the, the issue, just to build on what Helen and Bill have said, is uh, we, we need diverse thinking. Um, you know, engineering's lovely and engineers are lovely. Um, but if you let engineers design a product on their own, it will be, uh, you know, sort of uh, from a physics perspective, it will be sound. But it may not be usable in the way that people will, you know, want to go ahead with it. So I think that the issue for us now is twofold. Number one, how do we bring in a really diverse set of perspectives and experiences and backgrounds to ensure that what we're trying to build is going to be uh, received well and valued? And and then secondly is we've also got to help people understand, um, you know, the art of the possible. So we're designing things that don't yet exist. And people don't yet realise that it's going to be helpful to them. So how do we bring that to life? How do we inspire them along the way? Absolutely. And you've raised a really good point there around diversity of backgrounds and bringing them together to kind of bring to life this art of the impossible um, to real life. So, Helen, I know you recently attended the 5G Startup Incubator um, as part of Cambridge Wireless demonstrations. Um, and you saw some of the SMEs in action there. Are there any learnings that you can share from your experience and what you saw about collaboration? Yes, I think uh, I think ventures such as the testbed are absolutely essential to explore what is possible, as as Dave said, um, and to to do so in a sort of safe environment. Um, the uh, director of the testbed, in his introduction, said, "We're giving people a." space to fail safely um so to push the boundaries um in a in a controlled environment and there were some really exciting uh, developments there from um a truly collaborative game that could be played over a long distance um by people of all abilities uh, virtually um so it, you can actually compete in this sport without teams even having to travel to uh, to play each other um there was uh, there was a robot um which can handle dangerous substances or work in an extremely dangerous environment and uh, be controlled in real time even from the other side of the world over 5g which is wonderful um and also there was um an innovative radar that uh, not only has applications in uh, drones to give drones 3G vision and avoid other obstacles, but it's finding a very important application in uh, the inside lane of smart motorways where there have been a number of fatal accidents. And um, and the inventor of that technology believes that, that his radar can help avoid those. So uh, definitely working for the good of society there. Yeah, there were so many things to see there. And you mentioned, you know, that 
you know, applications and collaborations bringing together safety, but also fun and that whole kind of diversity piece altogether. Yes, it permeates every aspect of our lives. And uh, I think we'll do more so in the future. Absolutely. And Bill, you've also met the Cambridge Wireless team. Um, Do you have any reflections and what stood out for you? Well, it's very interesting that uh, the whole Cambridge Cambridge Wireless Group is a is a, a collaborative um, a, a community of innovators and technologists who are coming together to to discuss and to address some of the big challenges that we've got. But the the major event that they held recently at their international conference was happen, happening simultaneously to a, a different gathering in Glasgow, where a bunch of politicians were coming together to address one of the biggest challenges that we've got on our hands around the environment. Um, But specifically at the Cambridge Wireless event, um, one of the most interesting discussions we had was around how can you you, uh, strike the right balance between the societal benefit and the economic motivation for wireless networks. Um, Obviously, many of the operators need to make a profit, need to reinvest and need to get a return on their investment to make the whole thing work. But at the same time, we need to make sure that uh, we're not leaving um, areas of the, the country uncovered. We're not leaving um, the the, uh, digital divide where the the poorest in society can't access um, the the necessary technology to uh, actually to exist these days because all sorts of forms and things you need to do are online these days. Um, And also looking at how we can possibly um, collaborate between networks um, in order to provide support for the emergency services and other things. So there there were some fascinating discussions there. And I think a lot of it really reflects the, the theme of collaboration. Absolutely. And there sounds like, you know, we've all talked about all of these huge opportunities here, but we can all see that playing out. Dave, in your perspective, what are the big barriers and what can be done to remove some of those so we can actually feel and see some of these um, predictions coming sooner? Uh, uh, That's a great question, Ching Han. And and Bill's called on on one of them, um, which is about really uh, removing boundaries. So what's really interesting is if you think, if you look at younger generations and how they live their lives, and this isn't sort of a young versus old thing, but typically they have no sense of geographical boundaries, especially over the last couple of years. They're in touch with friends wherever they are on the planet and they collaborate with them as if they were in the same room, never mind, uh, you know, in a, in a city down the road. So it's making people aware that the, it's a different stage today. I, I don't know, you know, Helen and Bill, what your experience has been like in the pandemic, but as a consultant, I found myself doing far more international work than ever before because the burden, both the cost in ter- and time of travel has been removed. And so I'm working on projects around the world. And I think that's a, a big part of the future that's going to be enabled. So helping people understand that the boundaries are much bigger Uh, and that we can have that diversity of thinking. The second thing is about really engaging people with the benefits and and really helping them understand why this is important. And and, and again, you called out something that's really important that we've got to deal with, which is this whole concept of the digital divide or digital poverty. As a society, we cannot afford to leave anybody behind when it comes to being part of of a digital world. And, you know, we've got two choices. We say, actually, we're not going to build a digital world because we can't get everybody there. So we're going to stay on paper. That can't be the case. In the 21st century, we miss so much as a result of doing that. So really, the only choice we have is what are we going to do as a society, both locally in the UK and broadly globally, to make sure that every citizen has the ability to to be connected if, if they wish. 
And if we make the reasons for them to want to be connected so compelling, we will all win. But we we have to solve this problem. We cannot continue uh, without you know bringing connectivity and devices to everybody, regardless of their uh, physical location or their economic uh, situation. Absolutely. And that brings me quite nicely to the topic of science, technology, engineering and maths. We've seen today lots of businesses are investing in this. As you mentioned, it's seen as the future. The future depends on skill sets, having the workforce with the relevant talents and, and skills in this space. So, Dave, I know this is uh, something that you're really passionate about and you've been an advocate of uh, STEM subjects and education. You've mentioned now um, recently about kind of bridging that digital divide, leaving nobody behind. What kind of levels of investment do you feel is needed and and how can we make that a reality? Yeah, again, I mean, that's a really important point. So, that, so there are two things that I think we need to do. Number one is I think we've got to change the messaging slightly. So, you know, I, I come from an IT world and, and from big tech technology companies, and we get all excited about computer science. And whilst I am actually very excited by computer science, it's not the answer for everybody. So when we talk about coding for kids, for example, that's going to really help them. Yeah, maybe. Um, but actually, I find that computer scientists kind of self-select themselves. What we need to do instead is to make sure that every individual who leaves education is equipped with a really positive, constructive, productive relationship with technology. If we look at just the three stats that kind of rule my life at the moment, and the first is that by 2030, nine out of 10 jobs will require digital skills. By 2030, 50% of, of the jobs that we do today will probably have been automated by AI and robots. And then finally, don't think this is just about the kids because 80% of today's workforce will still be working in 2030. So for me, the focus needs to be how do we equip every individual with the right kind of skills that allow them to light up the value of digital? And to do that, it can't just be about the bits and bytes. It has to be about its application. What can I do as a result of that? We've got to, we've got to put the A into STEM, and, and that's the whole STEAM agenda. So where is the creativity? The, the successful companies of the future won't want straight academic thinkers. They'll want the creative people who can combine great sort of technical skills with creative approaches to novel problems that we're going to face. And so for me, it's about the redefinition of what we need to do and investment in taking ev everybody on that journey. Absolutely. And taking one of the points you've mentioned there is making sure that everybody has the same opportunity, regardless of backgrounds and, and everyone in society. So Helen, coming to you, thinking about what Dave has just shared there, kind of 50% of the population being females, what are your thoughts particularly on women in STEM? Yeah, I've been a uh, campaigner for women in STEM um, for over 30 years. Um, when I did an engineering degree back in the 1970s, um, only 1%, that was just me out of 100 um, were women on that course. And uh, over the years, it's actually sort of stabilized between sort of 10 and 12%, um, which isn't good enough. I, I think it's a whole perception thing. I think we need to make everyone technically literate, even if they're not actually going to work in, um, in a STEM-related job. Because as Dave said, nine out of 10 jobs will require digital skills not all of those will be directly digital jobs but you will need digital skills to do that um, the the other thing that um, people forget is in the 1960s 
most um, computer operators and um, many computer programmers were women. And uh, and that actually decreased over the um, subsequent decades um, because it became a, a status symbol for a man to work in, in IT. Um, and, and that was rather a shame because there were a lot of pioneering women not just the ones in the Hidden Figures uh, film, but uh, but many unsung heroes in the early stages of uh, of digital development. Yeah, and I feel you're right. You know, we've we started making those small steps forward, but there feels like there's a lot more that can be done. Um, Bill, coming to you, you know, given your focus and drive for digital ethics, privacy, and security, what more do you think could be done to encourage or change perceptions about coming into fields in in this area well, it's important as the other people have said on this um, discussion uh, that everybody is inspired and enabled around technology because we're going to need to to be uh, um, digital natives in order to survive in the new world but along with that enablement and inspiration there is the potential for harm um, and unfortunately, it is in those formative years where we are schoolchildren that we're seeing the greatest amount of uh, potential harm from some technologies. We've seen some some whistleblower uh, um, revelations against some of the social media firms, which have uh, given led to some rather alarming headlines. I, I don't think we need to go uh, and be too alarmist in this particular arena, but I think we need to be aware and we need to have the safeguards in place. Um, the reality is that screens per se are not harmful um, and we need to be uh, digital natives, we need to be capable in that respect. But on top of that, um, we need to focus on how we can benefit and maximise the benefits without some of those harms. So, And I think some of the collaboration that is enabled by technology is again enormously beneficial. Um, but there is bullying, there are other areas in, and they specifically arise from the social media side of technology and I think we need safeguards there. I mean we don't allow our children to drink or smoke or drive and and, and that we are aware of the potential harms in those particular arenas um, and I think we need to, to look more seriously as potentially age gating a lot of the social media platforms and providing some of the protections and we need to ensure that um, uh, the regulation is keeping up with the technology because the technology is there to enable an enormous amount um, but it's sometimes it's the implementation of the technology and it's the provision of those safeguards, which is lagging a bit. And and Dave, would would you have to agree with that or? Without a doubt. And, and I think, Bill, you said something really important there, which is, you know, screens on, on their own aren't bad. And, and what I worry about is I worry about parents and I worry about parents who aren't necessarily in the tech industry, but every day will read the headlines that we read and see all of the risks that they're putting their children in front of. And, and the natural reaction of any parent when they read those risks is to want to take technology away from their children. And I, I totally understand that. But here's the problem. Um, if you look at how we live our lives today, again, regardless of the sector that we work in, it's highly likely, if not almost entirely likely, that we will be using technology every day. Um, how many adults do you know would choose to do their day's work without access to their smartphone? Even if they don't use their smartphone for work, you know, the ability to while away the commute or to have a break or whatever, we wouldn't want to do it. And yet pre-pandemic, we would actively ban devices from 95% of the classrooms in England. And my point here is, number one, we need to, 
uh, part of our responsibility to young people is to teach them the skills that allow them to uh, get the best possible value from technology whilst staying, staying safe and being aware of the risks. So we have to help them that. Secondly, we need to do so much more work as a society with parents and guardians to help them understand why having a good relationship with technology is going to be so important for their children in their later life. I'm convinced that it will be one of the de defining factors in the success of an individual will be their ability to create and maintain a constructive relationship with technology. So the scaremongering is unhelpful, but, but needed. We need to balance the scaremongering with let me show you what good looks like. Let me tell you why this is important. Let me remind you why we think this is such a big deal. And so I just love to see that balance. And I'd love to see the empowerment of parents so that we can inspire them and inform them so that they can, you know, but you, you mentioned, you know, drinking and smoking, you know, as a parent, I am well aware of the health risks of drinking and smoking. I understand that. And I can guide my child through that decision process, you know, same sort of issues for, for drugs and all those sort of risks that they will face in their lives. Help me as a parent do the same for technology. Help me, uh, you know, understand how to build a healthy relationship or help my child build a healthy relationship with technology that will set them up for success throughout their life. And that's exactly it, setting it, everyone up for success in life. And there's, it's obvious that there's technology um, and room for technology to positively grow. Um, and there's moments we should collaborate more. So we've heard um, in a podcast today about, you know, everything from innovative startups to STEM and, as Dave puts it, STEAM um, sectors and topics, right through to education and that empowerment point you just mentioned. And, you know, the, that need to invest in future talent um, in order for collaboration to work. So just to wrap up, final thoughts, um, thinking about 2022 and beyond, what do you think collaboration will look like in the next five years, say? Going back to what Bill said about uh, collaboration being on a, both a macro and a micro level, I think um, we're seeing collaboration over all kinds of, of video links and um, that is going to move towards a more 3D type experience, augmented reality, virtual reality, more like actually being there or being together than just looking at a, a 2D screen. On a, yeah, on a macro level, there are a lot of initiatives in national government and more importantly, internationally. Innovate UK is doing a, a great job promoting the same sort of things as, as Cambridge Wireless, but they're investing in startups through the SMART programme, fostering collaborations between academia and industry and injecting ideas into, uh, into the economy. Um, so I, I think that we're going to see a lot of new innovations come out of these collaborations. Um, over the next few years. I couldn't agree more. And Bill, next five years? Um, I, I think on the macro level, um, I'm uh, hoping that we can have uh, far greater, um, not only the protection, but the actual harmonisation of some of those protections. Um, one of my concerns is that, let's say in Europe, we have GDPR. We're potentially going to have a, a, a slight divergence from GDPR in the UK. In America, we've got no federal privacy law at all. We're going to have a sort of state by state thing, which is going to make it very difficult for people to to comply. And then we have other countries like India and Russia and others all having their own uh, different laws. Um, the concern here is 
A, uh, many of these laws don't have effective enforcement and therefore without enforcement they're, they're pretty much useless. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're, we don't have enough harmonisation here. Uh, we need these protections, but if we to enable the sort of collaboration that we're looking towards here, we need greater harmonisation between a lot of these regulations um, to make um, international collaboration uh, uh, more, more feasible. Um, on, on a more uh, micro level, I think the nature of collaboration is going to change. It's not just going to be me collaborating my with my colleagues. It's going to be a far greater level of integration and automation, and and there may be some sort of AI entity that I that I collaborate with as well. Um, and I think that the, the 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 level of integration and automation in everything we do is going to cr increase exponentially. And I think that collaborative experience is going to change beyond all recognition. I mean, I don't think we could have seen where we are now with smartphones only a few years ago, and that has changed our lives. I think I'll change a lot are going to change all over again as as things progress. So lots of stuff there from Bill. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts on the next few years? Well, look, I, I'm just going to go straight for the, the human side of this. And, and again, it, it's a lesson that I've learned by looking at my son's interactions with his peers. Um, my son looks at, you know, video calls and thinks, oh, isn't that quaint? Because what he's doing with his mates is he's spending every night collaborating with people around the world, live streaming, you know, whatever he's working on playing, uh, you know, a game. And these skills about being able to collaborate and communicate with people who are not in the room, who are not from your local community, who are from all sorts of different backgrounds and engage around a common interest or project. Those are going to be the, the people that will light up the workforce of the future. And I can't wait. I can't wait till those people join the workforce and say, do you know what? There's a lot better way to do this. And they will understand the balance about the value of being there in person, but also the value of what you can get done when you aren't there in person and be able to really sort of, uh, you know, nimbly move from virtual to in person and, and deliver great value to the projects that they're working on. So I think, you know, the rise of the humans is coming. Uh, because people see the value. It's up to us, really, as the custodians of the workplace. And, and Bill's point about privacy is really, really well made. We've got to build a framework that makes sure that we do this in the right way so that we can empower these people who are so excited by the capability of technology, who, who just inhale it. like It's just like oxygen to them. They just breathe it. And I think we should unleash that on the workforce with a framework that supports them and keeps them safe so that they can just achieve great things. Yeah, and it's clear from everything you've all said today the benefits of collaboration is absolutely crystal clear and what you just mentioned there Dave it's everybody's responsibility to pave the way forward um, not just business leaders but us um, as consumers as well um, so I'll just wrap up on a final thought from uh, Henry Ford who once said coming together is a beginning staying together is a progress and working together is a success Oh. So um, just before we wrap up, I just want to say a special thank you to our guests, Helen, Bill and Dave, for your fascinating insights today. Um, and if you enjoyed this, do make sure you check out our other podcasts by searching for the Tech Podcast from Huawei UK. And don't forget to subscribe and we'll look forward to joining you again soon. In the meantime, if there's any comments or suggestions for this or future podcasts, tweet us at Huawei UK using hashtag the Tech Podcast. <laughs>